We're still in this series, uh, Thriving in Chaos. Now, the title of my message this morning is Biblical Hope. Have you thought during this pandemic time is that you wish that you had enough strength just to get through it? Well, I'm sure we've all had those thoughts at one time or another. We're going to have many more. It's almost like a child having a birthday party, and they put all those candles on the cake, then they blow it out, and they say, make a wish. Have you ever thought that that just might not be a good thing to do? Because that child may be very disappointed because there could be a high probability that they are wishing for a pony. Or, or where does that saying come from? It says that we wish upon a star. Uh, I, well, I looked that up, and it was in the 1940s when Disney came out with their movies, and particularly it started with Pinocchio, and a song, Wish Upon a Star, was, was the introduction of Disney um, movies. Well, for all of us living in this chaotic time, I'm sure that there is a whole lot of wishful thinking that is going on. Well, here's what I do know is that the past two weeks, I have preached on essential qualities. I gave you four essential qualities that will prepare us for chaos, prepare us for the battle. And believe me, those essential qualities prepared Daniel for the battles that he was having in Babylon. But it was really far more than those just four. There was hope, humility, and wisdom that enabled him to thrive in it all. Because those things gave him courage, they gave him credibility, and they gave him perspective. Boy, we need a pretty clear perspective in the world that we're living in, don't we? Think about it. Take away hope and humility and wisdom and all this poor guy has is just himself. And he would be just another victim of all of this chaos. Now, listen up, because you really need to hear this. These three powerful traits that it was not only to help him to be able to thrive, but it also gave him incredible spiritual influence in the most, in the most unlikely places, Babylon, and in the most unusual circumstances, slavery. And yet he had an incredible influence upon that nation throughout his life. So as we continue in this series and studying and thriving in chaos, I'm going to talk to you about hope. Daniel was a man of hope. But could I restate that? Daniel was a man of biblical hope. But unfortunately, when we think about hope, often people are not always connecting it to spirituality. What, what they're looking at is that it's something else, anything but what the kind of hope that Daniel had. It's not that they may not be spiritual enough to understand. It's that it was a different interpretation of which we're having today. You know, words change meanings over the years and decades. If I say to you that is bad, 
a a 70-year-old, they would think, well, that's not very good. Now, a 17-year-old, well, they would think, hmm, I think that that is, uh, that's kind of cool. That's way out. That's wonderful. It's a great time. Or if, if I would say, um, boy, the other day we had a riot. Well, the 70-year-old would think, what they meant was a riot was a great time because that was a term decades ago. That was They had a riot. Today, a 17-year-old would think, what happened? What's going on? What, why was there a riot happening uh, at your party the other day? Well, it all comes to mean something completely different at times over the generations. And I think that was the thing, what we're looking at, that biblical hope in Daniel's life. Today, when we hope for something to come true, we're thinking that, I hope you had a uh, good vacation, <laughs> like we're taking them these days, or, or mental gymnastics of positive thinking and visualization. Don't give up hope. You know, you could beat this. Just see you coming out victoriously. But Daniel had nothing to do with wishful thinking or positive visualization. He didn't wish anything that would uh, that it would be okay. And he didn't try to visualize something that was not. He knew. It wasn't wishful thinking, positive thinking. And he knew. It. It's like uh, mathematics. Let me give you a, a high-level equation. Uh, one plus one equals Two. There's no other answer. One plus one equals two. It's absolute truth. This is what Daniel was looking at. The absolute truth of God's word and God's positive influence within his life. He experienced it day by day. And if God was in control of everything, then really... Daniel knew that there was nothing that he needed to panic about. So let's, let's sit back, take another sip of your coffee or your tea, have your Bible on your lap, maybe a notepad beside you, because you're not going to want to forget this. Let's take another look at what biblical hope is. What I want you to understand that Daniel's hope was biblically sound. He had a deep-seated confidence in God's character and his sovereignty. He staked his life upon that. It was the lens in which he evaluated every decision that he made was through that relationship that he had with God. This is the same kind of hope of which the apostle Paul refers to when he is calling for um, um, Jesus' return, the blessed hope. It's far different that, than us sports fans that we hope that our football team would win the championship, our baseball team would win the championship, or our hockey team. I, I never understood. We have hockey here, the Coyotes in the desert of Arizona. That is absolutely amazing. Everybody wants to go into that arena these days. 
But blessed hope is far more than that. It means that there is that certain, absolute, fundamental principle in our lives that he is returning. Paul knew that he influenced every priority of his life. His moral standards was built upon it. Even the willingness to be persecuted because he believed in that absolute truth of Jesus Christ returning again. The apostle Peter, he used that word hope in such somewhat of the same way. He said this. He says, always be ready to give to anyone. To anyone who asks a reason for the hope we have. He, he wasn't suggesting for us to uh, make a, a decision on uh, getting a whole list of things and, and hoping that we could convince some people. He was saying, I want you to be absolutely sure that you are able to present that word that it is truth and it's unshakable. So here's what we need to know, though. Get ready for this. You ready? Oh, take a deep breath. It's a process. Can I say that again? This biblical hope, it is a process. This kind of hope isn't acquired at one kneeling. It's not acquired overnight. It's not that we put the Bible underneath our pillow and wishful thinking that everything comes true for us. And sometimes it takes time to grow. But the longer we walk with Christ, the more growth that we have. Now, <laughs> you, you really have to listen to me here because I need to finish this. Don't, don't turn me off. Don't start talking to someone in the room there that, that I can't believe he's saying that. Listen to everything I say here because this is important. It doesn't come from studying the Bible, knowing theology, or having that mental insight to block out every negative thought. Now, all those things are important, but this biblical hope, unshakable hope, it comes from obediently walking with God and experiencing, ready? Experiencing firsthand, firsthand his character, his power, and his faithfulness. Who doesn't want to experience that firsthand? This is not something that I want from to just hear about from my parents or my grandparents. This is something that I want to have in my life firsthand. So hope starts with a simple step of faith. When we reach the point that we believe that God exists and know that those rewards of who diligently seek him are therefore our, well, our taking, and we act upon that conviction of his word, guess what? God shows up. And we step out and trust him enough to do what he says when we're obeying him. God comes through. And each time he does, that walk in which we have becomes stronger, more powerful, and more uh, fulfilling and fruitful because we are firsthand experiencing it. Now, when we study God's word, don't read the Bible with a verse or two, and then all of a sudden you build this whole doctrine upon it. Read the full context. You want to know exactly what it's saying. Because you know what that's like. 
that is like you um, having a, um, a strong dialogue with a friend or your spouse. Now, that strong dialogue, um, uh, therapeutically um, um, speaking, it's called an argument. But what happens is that we get in our head, we got what they're saying, and they're wrong. So before they even have opportunity to plead their full case, we interrupt them and we give them the advice that we think we need. Now, when you do that to your spouse, I'm going to tell you something. That is an absolute bad move. Now, at a glance, when I look at Daniel, the first chapter, verse, couple verses, I begin to see that, wow, this teenage boy has his act together. Wow, his faith is unshakable. Look what happened to him, and he's just talking about it as a, uh, a natural, everyday experience. Listen to Daniel in the first chapter, verses 1 and 2. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, a king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. The, uh, these he carried off to the temple of his God, small g, in Babylon, and put them in the treasure house of his God, small g. Now, it's important to note that Daniel, the book of Daniel, is not a journal day by day play of what is happening. When Daniel was writing this book, it was decades later that he's reflecting back on what happened. It, it describes his perspective of many years later of him experiencing firsthand God's faithfulness. It is a crystal clear lens of 2020 hindsight. And and that kind of builds our, our biblical hope when we experience his faithfulness day by day. When the Babylonians first showed up and they put all everyone in Jerusalem into um, bondage, Daniel probably absolutely freaked out. And, and he was wondering what in the world was happening. This foreign power conquered them. And can you imagine foreign power coming in to our city, taking over, locking you up in chains, taking you back to their country to learn a foreign language and a foreign way of living under an evil dictator. I'm sure Dan was wondering where God's hand was in all of this. But with each step of obedience, Daniel's confidence in God grew. Day by day. By the time he was thrown in the lion's den, he wasn't this teenage kid. What he was, was he was this mature adult man who walked in obedience of God's word, experiencing firsthand God's faithfulness. And his faith was unshakable because he had this biblical hope that was absolutely sure. And though he wasn't always sure that it was going to be life or death, he knew that no matter what happened, 
God would be the victor over it, and the evil one would be the loser. Hmm. You see, it all starts with what we know. Now you're thinking, whoa, that's not a good statement, Pastor. What we know, you're saying it all starts with, I don't know a whole lot. How, how am I able to be able to take such a stand like Daniel did? Because he obviously knew a great deal. I'm in trouble already. Hold your horses here. Because I, want, I don't want you to disqualify yourself because of lack of knowledge. Here is what may surprise you. In Daniel's case, his journey to that biblical hope, that steadfast hope, seem to have begun out of a simple act of obedience. And you're thinking, okay, that simple act of obedience was he stuck to the kosher diet no matter what the consequences was. You see, in that, excuse me, in that time uh, when, when Daniel was alive, the, the, well, strong influences in his life prior to that captivity was not really good. He was raised in a time of great spiritual darkness. The priests and the prophets and the people were far from God. You know, that's why the Lord really turned them over to the Babylonians. It, it was likely that the knowledge of the scripture and the Mosaic law was very limited. And because of their rebellious spirit, here's, here's something that, that I really don't think that those priests were teach, preaching on and teaching on, is on sin. Because they were self-committing those sins, so they didn't want to bring it before them. So they just gave them the cream, the easy stuff. And, and one of the things I, I feel that they were teaching on is that, well, how could we go wrong in talking about the Mosaic dietary laws? So that's what Daniel knew. And so since that's what he knew and that what he was taught, he stuck to it. He was determined to obey it no matter what the cost. When I ponder that, I begin to think, uh, listen, mom, dad, grandparents, if you have a child that is living in your home, I want you to be assured that they are hearing everything that is being said. And we know that, don't we? But when they hear the truth of God's word being shared, not just being preached to, but being shared and lived out, it begins to take root. That's why you should, no, let me rephrase that. That's why you must stay connected to what is going on. You've got to get that, that app that Pastor James was talking about. I want you to be able to be a part of every single thing that we are doing and teaching here at the church. I want your children hear this incredible teachings that Pastor Nicole is putting out now that she has these videos where she's speaking in the life of your children. She has her children involved in it. There is Joanna and her daughter 
is it that she is um, um, doing the worship and wow, you, you talk about energy and the kids get into it. There's all different kinds of moves that they have and, the, and there's Valerie is teaching to the younger children that is so vitally important to them. I want you to know that, that, that every aspect of what we are putting out through the online ministries are filtered through two things. One of them is evangelism. The other thing is discipleship. If we are not evangelizing Evangelizing or discipling people, I told my pastoral staff, we are not going to do it. Every single thing that we do. See, when Daniel and his three friends arrived in Babylon, they were already in the hands of God, not of their captors. They were put into a chosen three-year program that, that would guarantee them a better life than the slavery that other children may be experiencing. And that may not sound very good because a slave is a slave that is a slave. But here's something I want you to know is that they were being taken care of much better. But there was no really hope yet for the future. However, this was meant that they would be well cared for the problem was that they were eating from the king's table. It was not a kosher meal. So, so here's how it went. It went this way. Daniel and his friends decided not to eat the forbidden food from the king's table. Interesting that they didn't do a sit-down strike or not eating strike. They just simply and politely asked the chief eunuch, for a alternative food. And, and when that produced to be fruitless, they asked the guard if he would really be willing to just test them for 10 days. In those 10 days, if they didn't look as good or not better than the other Babylonian students, then they would eat from the king's table. Well, that happened. And, and then what happened is that when they took that step of faith of that 10-day trial period, God showed up. They were obedient. These boys were healthier and better nourished than anyone else. They continue to serve in this unauthorized diet of this kosher food for three years. Now, I find it interesting that maybe this guard really didn't want the king to know that these boys were being fed vegetables and water only, but they looked good. And then I wondered, he may have collected that food from the king's table, and where did it go? It might have been on his dinner table. But here's what's really intriguing. It was not that they were just nourished so well at the end of those three years, that these boys were much wiser, smarter. They were the top of their class. There was absolutely no one that was close to them. So let me wrap this up. Just imagine that they have, um, how this had built Daniel's trust in those three years, and then over the many decades of living in Babylon, of God continually showing up when he was just acting out of obedience. 
See, by the end of Daniel's life, there was nothing that could shake his deep-seated optimism and confidence of God. Next week, I'm going to be speaking about being optimistic in this chaotic times. He knew firsthand that God was in control, no matter what it may have looked like. It is, that is the exact same for all of us. When we obey God in the light of his word, what happens is that God shows up. And every time he does, our hope is increased. We grow deeper, stronger, wider, even higher. That deep-seated optimism and confidence of coming to know that we've experienced God firsthand, step by step. See, the good news is that biblical hope, it doesn't mean that we have to be the interpreter of dreams as Daniel, or to sleep in a lion's den, or as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel, is that to, to be able to survive the fiery furnace. Or the only thing that we need to do is to be obedient and act upon it. It was obedience that led to this biblical hope. And that biblical hope, listen, listen clearly. That biblical, biblical hope is the birthright. Say birthright. It is the birthright of every individual who chooses to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We all have that offered to us today as we obey him. We don't have to worry about what we don't know. What we only need to do is walk in obedience in the light of his word and be faithful to it day by day. And remember, the key is experiencing it firsthand. You know, every time he solves a problem, Every time that he walks us through that valley or stands with us in the midst of all this chaos, we grow each and every day. I got to tell you, church, I get reports of people in the past four months that, that we have been shut down. It blows my mind just to think of four months, is that I have seen God's faithfulness in the lives of people that they themselves are just stunned, and yet their faith and their hope in Christ is growing each day because they are experiencing it firsthand, that biblical hope. It's, well, it's a way that we literally do thrive in this chaos. I, I want us, we, we said that we're going to be sharing in communion. And if you would open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11th chapter, Around verse 23, you're going to hear what Paul is talking about. And, and, and what he's saying, he's talking about the bread, and he's talking about the juice. And he's talking about the meaning of it, the symbolism of it. But, but before he does that, he, he says, now I want you, though, before you partake of any of this, I want you to examine yourself. I want you to see Christ." Well, what he wants to do in your life. And that examining ourselves is allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal to us anything. I mean anything that is separating us from that relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, my friend, 
God wants you to experience it all firsthand. So could I pray with us before we partake of this communion to ask the Holy Spirit to examine us that we will get ourselves, well, that firsthand experience of the faithfulness of God when he says he will never leave us or forsake us. So, Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that, Spirit of God, you would reveal anything that is separating us from that love of God. And we repent of that this very moment. We ask you to forgive us of our sins, Forgive us of those things that we allow to come out of our life to get us off focus. Bring us into a right alignment. Let there come, Lord, that fullness of life in which you have for us. In these troubling, chaotic times, we welcome you. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. Thank you for reestablishing our faith, renewing our walk with you, restoring that which the locusts have eaten. Lord, we will give you all the glory and praise for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He says that he took the bread and that he broke it. And he says, eat this in remembrance of me. What does he want us to remember? He wants us to remember the brokenness of his body. Those 39 stripes that he bore for our healing. By his stripes, we are healed. You see, that's biblical hope, my friend. That's assurance that if his word says it, we could declare it. That, that strength. There are people who are watching and listening to us right now who need that healing in their body. So, Heavenly Father, we remember what you have done. And we declare the promises of that broken body and what it brings to us. And we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may partake. That juice. Wow. That juice, it is a symbol. Hmm of his blood that has been shed. <laughs> I, I love it because it's when we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we had a blood transfusion. He just changed everything in our lives. I bear his DNA this day. Now I'm going to celebrate because this salvation is not only to us, but it's to our whole household. So let us pray that we remember what Christ's done and that salvation of our homes. Heavenly Father, we celebrate our salvation. And we celebrate now as well, Lord, that biblical hope of knowing that you're bringing forth that word in the lives of our loved ones and our friends and our neighbors, our world today. And we will give you the glory now for those results. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may partake. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get ready for this, this Sunday that as I'm going to be, well, this next Sunday, I'm going to be speaking on optimism. 
I want you to get ready for what God has for you that you experience firsthand. But you know how you could do that because you don't walk in this environment.